When school let out March 10th, it was until April 13th. But by March 17th, we knew that wouldn't be true. And now they say May 5th. But honestly, we're planning to do this makeshift homeschool thing until August. If it turns out that services for kids open earlier, we can be pleasantly surprised. And deeply relieved, let's be real. But at this point, we don't have any hope for that. Tonight, our question centers on the hard and the heavy. What do we mean when we say Jesus is good news when all the news in the world is bad? Or to put it another way, if I need hope and all feels like despair, what role does Jesus play then? Hope can certainly be hard to access, but we also know it's deeply powerful. It's often linked with the attribute of resilience in psychological study, for instance. Hope is a force that can keep us moving forward through extremely difficult times. Nothing's different, but something is going to change someday. Hope is the way we can manage to hold out for this good that we know could come and keep moving on. Talking about hope right now might seem premature. We are still on the downward trajectory of the crisis with COVID-19, and there is a lot that is still unknown. By all accounts, the situation is going to get worse, and we don't even know what worse means. I would say talking about hope is certainly premature if hope is situational. Like my family's response to school, which is only tethered to flattening the curve, the number of people affected and infected, our school hope is totally situational. But there is another way to approach hope, and that's as personal. And the Bible invites us to that kind of hope. There's a story in Luke chapter 24 of two men walking to Emmaus a few days after Jesus had died. The women say that he's alive, but I mean, <laughs> come on, they're women. These men met Jesus, but they didn't know it. And so they fill Jesus in on the events that had been happening, saying, Jesus was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. We had hoped. We don't anymore. Jesus has died and hope has died and all that's left is despair. I think all of us have things right now where we feel like we had hoped. Perhaps about the current health crisis. Perhaps about the other parts of our lives. We had hoped. We had hoped to be at school on April 13th. We had hoped it was just a couple weeks off work so that they wouldn't be talking about furlough or layoffs. We had hoped that remote work would be possible. We had hoped that we could at least see extended family. We had hoped. Now Jesus meets these men there, and his answer to them is to walk them through the larger story God is writing in the world. Jesus goes back to Moses and to the prophets. He tells the old story a new way, revealing and reminding them how God has always planned to send the Messiah to save us. A lot of the New Testament of the Bible really follows Jesus' lead here. It's people telling the old story a new way so that Jesus is now the end of it. 
the book of Hebrews, where we're going to spend a few minutes right now. It's like that. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. It's a 13-chapter book tucked near the end of the Bible, and it can be a tough book to read. And to write in a short sermon on Hebrews notes that it's tough because, one, it can feel convoluted. And two, the main theme is sacrifice, the literal sacrificial system of God's people Israel observed throughout the Old Testament. Hebrews has a major question about what should be done now that Jesus has come and died and lives again. Because Israel's story up until that point was all about preparation for the Messiah. That worship, sacrifice, rituals, traditions, it's all meant to help form God's people to be ready to receive the Messiah when they came. Then he did. So now what? Hebrews wants to answer that question first by reminding us that not only did the scriptures point to the Messiah, especially as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, but that the Messiah, upon arrival, would go on writing the next part of the story. They get to pen the next chapter. It was meant to be that way. And then Hebrews wants to say that this Messiah, Jesus, picked up his pen and wrote the ending of the old way. We don't need the rituals, the sacrifices, the traditions that got us here. Not now. That was, in some ways, situational hope. Sacrifice just right. Worship space just right. People, the priests, just right. But now, says Hebrews, we need to shift into the new reality that Jesus began and enjoy its benefits. We don't need sacrifices. Situational hope. We don't need sacrifices. Jesus was the final one. We don't have situational hope. We have personal hope. Eternal, unshakable hope. The writer says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Our goal in this whole good news series as a church, it's to widen the verses in scripture that have been narrowed by a view of good news that is only Jesus gives us a ticket to heaven after death. This is one of those verses. The hope we have as an anchor for the soul, it often gets read as salvation, meaning just heaven. Leaving it narrowed like that would be situational hope. The situation in our life might be bad. The situation someday in heaven will be better. But this hope, it's something greater. And the clues to what lie in the middle of the verse, those convoluted parts that N.T. Wright mentioned before. The image of a veil, the role of Jesus as high priest, and this guy Melchizedek. What Jesus does is offer himself as the final sacrifice. It's something he can authoritatively do because of his, in fancy theological terms, messianic identity as priest. The Messiah was always going to be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. So this role of priest, specifically high priest, is important. The high priest was a person from the tribe of Levi who oversaw the ritual sacrifices of God's people. 
And this verse about hope says that Jesus has done the same thing, become a high priest. Now, there is a problem. Jesus isn't a Levite. He's not from that tribe. He is from the line of David. Now, that's actually good news for those other parts that talk about Messiah as true king. It's kind of bad news for the parts that say Messiah is high priest. But the writer's goal is to give us the lens to see what Jesus has been doing in this old story. So they hold it up and tell us to look at this guy, Melchizedek, who was a not Levite, called by God to be high priest. God's call alone gives Melchizedek his purpose and authority. Jesus is that kind of high priest. Now about the high priest role. Among other things, the worship space in the sacrificial system, it had a central location where God's presence rested, the Holy of Holies, which was divided from the rest of the space by a thick curtain. The high priest could enter that space, access God most directly, not for their own sake, but on behalf of all the people. Wouldn't it be lovely then for there to be one final high priest who enters, offers the final sacrifice, and on his way out just yanks the curtain down to unleash, in effect, a whole new reality where anyone who follows them can live their everyday life just as if they were in that central space. That connected to God. Jesus is good news because he's the final sacrifice. His death and resurrection mean we are now hoping for a totally sure thing. The presence of the unchanging God in Jesus Christ, now and forever. And the writer of Hebrews and Jesus himself on that Emmaus road want us to hear that all of this is not some fluke, luck, cosmic coincidence in our favor. This is the climax of God's long plan. Our faith and the choice to use our lives to follow this Jesus then rest, as N.T. Wright puts it, on the rock-solid plan of the Lord of history. When we grasp the cross, we're not clenching at a straw, but standing on a rock. The hope we have is not heaven after death. The hope we have is not just the end of a sacrificial system. Forgiveness, salvation, reconciliation to God, belonging to God's family, they are gifts from Jesus, but they are not our hope. They are byproducts. What we have in the hard and the heavy, what we have in the happy, is Jesus. And if we wonder, is hope lost? Hebrews wants to say no. Not because there's heaven later, but because there's Jesus. Now, Jesus is our hope. Our hope is Jesus. Our hope is not situational. It's personal. The situation may not get better, but whatever happens, we have Jesus. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, said, The one who has God and everything else has no more than the one who has God only. As we close here again, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered, as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This hope is an anchor 
sure, and steadfast. Jesus is our anchor, sure and steadfast, in these deeply confusing times. Our hope is not situational. It is personal. It is Christ. Amen.